Here we go, neighborhood watch. We're here. I'm Michael. What are you? You're Cameron. Yes. Well, look at that. This is episode 1261. Uh, this was Disco Snuffy and Big Bird. Uh, this one, uh, you might have noticed, we're going out of order. The whole order has gone to shit. Uh, this one is before the previous episode. Um, doesn't matter anymore, we're just checking them off the big list. I don't care about order anymore. Um, this one started off quite, quite odd, Cameron. I, I think uh, it must have been even more of a shock to you, having having been so long since you've watched an ap- ap- actual episode. Yeah, I found a lot of changes in this week's episode. You know, no more no more clay people at the beginning. There's no more scary clay people to traumatize the children. I was happy to see that. I'm excited to hear your your new perspective. Because you know, I've I've seen like a dozen episodes almost at this point, um, but I think I think you know as there becomes more of a of a of a divide between me and the guest, as I become sort of like the the beaten down expert, <laughs> I'm I'm glad we we have we have new people to you know give us give us some new perspective. So uh, this one started off with something absolutely bizarre. It was. Um, Snuffleupagus and Big Bird in Big Bird's nest, his little like nook that we've seen. Um, he actually he, ha- he has an actual nest that we see in this episode, so that's being established further. Um, but uh, <laughs> they're listening to a sort of disco rendition of Rubber Ducky is is where we're starting off, and and Big Bird explains to Snuffleupagus what a disco is, and a disco is. Uh, very disco-like, according to Big Bird. Not much more detail other than that, only that a disco is very much like the disco. <laughs> it, it's a very... It, we've been noting that as these episodes go on, they're more and more of their time. Like, I feel like the first two or three were kind of timeless, but uh, up in these, like, 1,000-plus episodes are very... Um, they're very 70s and 80s. Um so, so they they use their imagination as they've done in episodes past to conjure up a disco a disco club, a discotheque, if you will, um, and and we get to see some of their moves. Like there's just they, they there's a couple that's dancing on the dance floor, and they remark on their dance skills, which I was not a fan of to be honest. How did you, Michael, how did you describe uh, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus, their dancing? What was, what was it like? What was it akin I to? Said, <laughs> um, I said if you were to remove the soundtrack, it would seem as if there was just an earthquake on set. <laughs> because it was, like, I, I, I'll give a pass to Snuffleupagus, because he's clearly two people in a giant suit, just doing a, a dance, like, stepping back and forth. But I need to emphasize how surreal it was, because I've gotten accustomed to, like, there's an ongoing, like, plot in an episode. This episode, well, it it did have that, but it didn't start off with that like it normally does. It was just this weird sort of, discos are hot, maybe we should incorporate, because that's really the feeling (laughs) that I got. I I think it would be important to note uh, Mr. Snuffle's hat. Because oh that was a beautiful hat. <laughs> he just had a hat for no reason. <laughs> well, not for no reason. It was clearly 
Uh, that's his going out outfit. <laughs> but they don't they don't remark on it because it's a giant hat for Snuffleupagus's giant head. Um, I was fond of that. But yeah, they just kind of dance and they play some like disco music. It's bizarre. And and it doesn't return. Like it's never mentioned again. It's not the theme of the episode or anything. <laughs> uh, then then we move on to um, that. Uh, two of our sponsors get introduced immediately. Uh, Eleven and I. So there's this animation of a guy who says it, they're, he, they're, he's on take eleven of like trying to introduce the letter I. Um, not much to say about this one. This was just like setting up the sponsor of the episode, I think. I was a little confused at one point. They were counting to up to twelve, though, which I didn't. Mm. I didn't get it. What, what's you with are, that? You are referencing the pinball number count, which has been a repeated uh, segment and one of my all-time favorites. Um, that one. That one's always to twelve. Like they just like they pick out a number. They'll do eleven, but like the song, like the the bookend to the song is is the full twelve. I don't really know what the story for that is. It's like I guess they get the full use out of it. I guess like so, middle, yeah. Yeah, like the middle section is always different in terms of the song and the animation. Like it's always like in a different style musically, and then they'll give it like a different theme for the animation. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Because I I just thought maybe twelve was another one of our sponsors. But yeah, I'll I'll give a pass for pinball number count because it's so awesome. Um, but yeah, then we move on to Grover's Eye Song. I think this is the first time we see Grover singing. <laughs> this one is weirdly edited too. Um, he's sort of like bouncing, well not bouncing, he's like cutting in and out and like he's, one moment he'll be like right next to an eye and like one moment he'll be like far away. Um, we don't see that much with like editing uh, cut into the puppet segments. Uh, here's something of note, uh, the plants and the musical noise is what I've written for this next segment, which was just that. It was, there was this like plant, this like big like tree size sort of bush. Um, with flowers on it, and the camera's, like, zooming in on it, and there's just, like, different, like, percussive instrument noises going on. Like, no clear melody attached. It was very bizarre. Now, this I do remember. Yeah. Because it scared me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There were, like, police sirens going on in the background. Did you notice that? Yeah, Yeah. it was... I thought something was going down with this tree. (laughs) Um, but there was no like payoff either. No one to introduce what was going on. It was just it. It was what it was. It was just an an audio visual experience. Um, yeah. So then we had the pinball number count. Uh, then we jumped to oh the the hand the hand counting to eleven. Um, anyone with even a passing knowledge of uh, hand anatomy can see what the problem was going to be with this scene. <laughs> So, so uh, a voice is explaining to us while there's two hands on screen with like colored gloves on that they're gonna count to eleven. So you know they start doing the fingers one two three four five. Uh, they do it the weird way. They do it like pinky starting first. I've never been a fan. How do you count, Cameron? Um, with okay one, I use my index finger, and then okay, two yeah. is my middle finger. All right. Three and so on and so forth. It goes okay. Well, hang on. To the left the th- and then the three is the, the important. Three is the important one because you can either do the thumb or you can do like the three middle ones. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I do the three middle ones. That's how okay, I do yeah. my threes. That is... I, I agree with you. That is the more comfortable of my ways. Um, because, like, four after that, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you gotta do, like, this, like, pinky, like, grab thing. Yeah, because your pinky's all funky if you do... If you're trying to keep it down, but have all the other fingers up, it's, like, half up. Right. It doesn't make sense. I don't know whoever thought of doing it that way. Um... Yeah, I have family members that that do it that way, and it's it's bizarre. Um, but yeah, they they get to ten, they 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 can't do do more. No one no one is is afflicted with polydactyly, which is the affliction of having extra fingers. <laughs> I learned that I did like a health project, like a biology project on like a genetic disorder thing on a mutation. I had polydactyly. That's an, I didn't know that. I did not know that polydactyly was extra fingers. Yep. So thank you for that. Because you got poly, which is Latin for many, many yeah. or, or numerous, and then dactyl, which is Latin for like finger or, or like extremity or sort of thing. Does that make yeah. a pterodactyl like a flying finger? <laughs> that you know, you know they do have like those weird like like sort of like bat like. Sort of, like, wings. Like, it's not, like... Or I guess... Like, dinosaurs... Have we decided... Have scientists decided if we're sticking with the feathered dinosaur theory? Wait. Dinosaurs were feathered? Are you un- You're unaware of this? I thought they were all scaly and reptilian. There's been a recent resurgence of theories that, that dinosaurs may have actually been more avian in their appearance because they were co- covered in feathers and not... Not entirely reptilian as we've seen them in movies. That would just look stupid. I know it's like a bunch of giant chickens. Yeah, I'm really afraid that that's what it was. Like I want to, I don't want Jurassic Park to be <laughs> retroactively, you know, incorrect. That's I don't they, want to see like Big Bird walking around in Jurassic Park. I don't <laughs> want to see that. <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Bird. <laughs> God, that would have been a different movie. Uh, early, early Big Bird would have, was scary enough to pull off that that horror <laughs> aspect of the film. Can you imagine if like Jurassic Park was like Muppetified? If they did like a Muppet, like they've done that before, they've taken other stories. How long until how long until Jurassic Park becomes public domain and they can like Muppetify it? <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple years. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. I want to see that episode. <laughs> okay. So uh, after that, we had um, the Chinatown, which is just Big Bird and and one of the human friends who I don't think we've met, some guy. Um, they were walking through Chinatown, and uh, he's Big Bird is explaining to the guy that he's uh, afraid of the dragons, you know, that, that inhabit excuse me, that inhabit Chinatown. Um, but <laughs> this is where we where we run into an issue. Um, he explains to them that they're just puppets. So <laughs> we the the Big Birds uh, not to not to break the, the element of illusion here, but uh, Big Bird <laughs> is also a puppet. <laughs> so so the moment that that things like make a turn and that a, a, a dragon pops up and scares the guy and he jumps into the giant puppet's arms for protection. Uh, there's a little bit of fun little irony to yeah. add there. I feel as if. 
also weird that there's a Chinatown segment. I feel like we've been pushing the China uh, Chinese New Year theme. And look at this. Maybe I'm clairvoyant. Maybe maybe there's going to be a dinosaur segment in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we're to be following the theme here. Uh, after that, we had the return of the typewriter, who I did not know was a returning character or like a animation series. Yeah, he's done other letters for us. Cameron, this is probably your first introduction to him. Yes, I have not seen Mr. Typewriter before. Yeah, so this one, uh, he did the letter I, and he used the word ink because he needed ink in order to print the word ink on his paper. Have you ever used a typewriter, Michael? Uh, you know what? Uh, my my great-grandpa, who uh, lives far away, we, we visit him, like, once, and he had a typewriter in, in his basement. And I remember, like, there was all this cool stuff in his basement, like, old-timey, like... Um, like the, there's a, this like swing set like in there like just a rope in there it was a it's a very vivid memory but there was also like a letter writing table one of those things with like the little like drawing up sort of drawer sliding thing you ever seen yeah. one of those yeah 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 those things are awesome and there was a typewriter there too and I remember typing stuff out on the typewriter and being it was awesome they feel they feel great do they I love it. Yeah, that's you've nice. never. No, I've never, I've never used a typewriter. I've always imagined like the feedback from hitting the keys was like, I imagined it to be calming and comfortable. It's like difficult, like for my for my little like six year old fingers, <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't keep the home row steady. <laughs> it, was, it was a, but it it made it it made it all the more satisfying, I believe. Yeah, I and hope also, it, I hope that one day I get to use one of those. Yeah, that's on my bucket list now. That's a yeah. That's a good. It's a good thing to do. Um, after that, we had the bus counting video, which was just a bunch of like B-roll of buses driving by as kids sort of like haphazardly shout out numbers. There's a lot of this, of just, <laughs> especially in this episode. There was a lot of sort of, um, like half committed kids yelling yeah. things simultaneously. <laughs> This Just a bunch first... of kids trying to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, then we had the impolite sketch. Uh, this one had quite an ending to it. Uh, he was explaining to us he was standing next to a letter I, as cartoon characters are wont to do, um, explaining to us that something that's impolite, as a voice coming from nowhere in particular, uh, is kind of patronizing him. Um, you know, kind of like like tell us what what it's about, you dumbo. That's not what he said. That was, that was me interpreting. <laughs> but but it ends with him going off screen. He's like, uh, excuse me for a moment. And then he like walks off screen, and then we hear him uh, doing what can only be assumed, beating up this, this guy who's, who's yelling at him, and then coming back and being like, impolite. <laughs> which is a troubling lesson to just solve with physical violence. You know, I'm, I am personally a pacifist. I will not. Uh, I will not allow this this sort of this sort of lesson to be taught to our young children. Yeah, and one other thing to know. I know I've been I've been hat guy this episode so far, <laughs> but and this guy's hat just looked like boobs to me. I just had yes. to say that. Yeah, had to point the, that out. It was. It's unavoidable, frankly. It's you know when you're cartoonizing a a sort of ten gallon hat. From the right angle, from the right line density, you're gonna end up anatomy-ish. <laughs> uh, Ernie and Bert. Uh, this I've seen this scene before, but I, I was I was fond of it the first time, and it holds up the second time. 
do you want to give the rundown of what, happen- what happens in the scene since it was your first encounter? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm surprised that they reuse skits like this. Is that- it, It's becoming more rare. Uh, I think just because, like, this episode is, like, um, so close to two other episodes that I've watched. Um, you know, we, we're not making, like, a hundred episode jump anymore. Yeah. So that's probably the reason why. But there was still mostly original stuff in this. Okay, well, it begins with Ernie. Or wait, okay, Bert. Bert's the orange one, right? If Bert, it, I can't remember for the life of me. <laughs> I, this is my second episode, okay? Bert, Bert is the cranky one with okay, the long head. Bert's, Bert's yellow, Ernie's orange. Yes? I believe so. Okay. I, don't, I don't identify by... I don't see color. You don't see color? I, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ernie wakes up in, and I quote, the middle of the night, <laughs> and wants to know what time it is. So he wakes Bert up, and of course Bert's, you know, oh, come on, Ernie, what are you doing? <laughs> and, um, well, the issue with looking at the clock, which uh, Bert tells Ernie to do, is that it's too dark to see the clock. <laughs> and so Bert decides to inform Ernie that he should just turn on the light switch. But to his, to Bernie's dismay... To Bernie, <laughs> to Bert's dismay, Ernie's like, you know what? I can't see the light switch either. It's too dark. And so to solve this issue, because you know, he's not going to give up without knowing what time it is. He decides to go out the window, not jumping out. You know, <laughs> he, he, he shouts out the window, and uh, all the angry New Yorker. Neighbors decide to yell at him, you know, hey, shut up, man, come on, what are you doing? I mean, it wasn't that aggressive, but it's a child show. But one of them, as one might have assumed, says, hey, man, it's three o'clock in the morning. And so Ernie finally gets his answer and he goes off to bed. And that's that's the end of our little little Muppet skit. And that was a fun one. I liked it too. I remember because I didn't see it having that conclusion. Um, I anticipated something uh, sort of. Uh, it it came out of nowhere for me, to be honest. I thought, you know, these that that's one skill that the Ernie and Bert scenes seem to have is that um, their solution is often something I can't anticipate. Yeah, there's always a nice little twist. Yeah, and that's always appreciated for for someone like me. Um, after that, we had probably the most displeasing scene that I've ever seen. What was this? There was a dentist scene. <laughs> they showed kids at the dentist and, like, te- teeth cleaning and, like, the pick and, like, ugh, I can't stand teeth. I, ugh. Why? Who? Who was this for? For the dentists who watch the show? Why do they need... That's not what they want. I bet even dentists hate teeth. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that, like, a solid 40% of dentists hate teeth. And then another, like, 50% are, like, neutral. There's, like, that weird... You gotta you gotta account for, like, the 10% weirdo population in anything that you're counting. I But no one... I, I hate teeth. This is gross. I had to look away. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. It was like, <laughs> like what? Where does Sesame Street get off? Like, like fucking like, gross. Just gross. Teeth are gross. Um, then we had the look-alike scene. 
which was just two little animation guys um, singing a lookalike song. The song was fine. I thought, you know, whatever. Um, he, he, like, falls off a cliff at one point. Yeah, this was another forget a forgettable music scene. Yes. We'll Nothing special. Good, yeah, we'll get to the good music. Um, then we had... Oh, this, I, I enjoyed this one. I imagine... Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so it was it was here... Now presenting the octopus is what I titled this, because that's all that... <laughs> That's all that's spoken during this, just right at the beginning. And then a, a, a you know, low-fidelity recording of Pomp and Circumstance plays uh, during different uh, movie images of, of Octopus. Octopi. Yeah, this one was a little gross to me. I don't, I don't know what it is about Octopi, but uh, seeing all those suckers and this... It's all fleshy and gross looking. I, I wouldn't think... touch an octopus. <laughs> but you're fine with kids' mouths? Yeah, I didn't have a and problem with that. The gross, like, tongues, like, sticking out and, like, poking at, like, the, the little scraper. They had, like, clean white teeth. I mean, it was, like, gingivitis and they were, like, bleeding at the mouth. I mean, I might yeah. have been a little more grossed out, but it was, like, happy, healthy little kids. The dentist. It was no, this is your mouth on drugs, but it was. <laughs> You know, even the best of mouths are are still just these holes to your insides. Um, then we have uh, then we have the introduction of our continuing scene, um, which was uh, Mr. Hooper and Olivia are in Mr. Hooper's shop, and along with a Muppet, uh, Harry is his name. He's like the big blue Muppet. Uh, it's kind of got like the gravelly voice and the big nose. Uh, you can remember him because he's kind of hairy. Uh, but he he wants to know what's cooking. And first of all, uh, Mr. Hooper lets loose what sounds like some sort of like idiom, like common saying thing. Do you remember what he said? Something about peas being in a pot. Yeah, he said a lot in a very short amount of time. And it, it was a very it was yeah it was, yeah, it was like whoa, it caught me off guard. It had like the rhythm and tone of like like an old like country wisdom sort of saying that like your grandpa would say when he's, like, trying to give you advice. <laughs> I don't know, it was something like, peas in the pot with the hot, warm water is nothing till after three. <laughs> <laughs> or something to that effect. I hope I don't sound like some moron that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't recognize this, like, super common phrase. But I had no idea what he was talking about because it was clearly, like, a joke. Because Olivia responds with, like, oh, you're such a, you're such a goofball, you're such a, you're such a, a silly guy. But, like, we were left out in the cold. I had no idea what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, me neither. Because there were no peas. <laughs> <laughs> um, what he did have uh, for sale was a special for the day that was written on, a like, a chalkboard, like you'd see in, like, a fancy cafe. Or just a regular cafe. Blackboards are not um, exclusive or uh, special like that. Uh, the, the sign uh, was, like, not far away. Like, it was readable. Uh, it said, like, chicken salad platter as the special, uh, but Harry um, is like, can you bring it closer, can you bring it closer, and like Olivia brings it up, and bring it closer, bring it closer, until it's like right up in his face, and he's like, I think this says, um, so clearly what they're setting up here is an eyesight related story to sort of uh, ease the, the troubles of children that might be um, 
struggling to see like the the chalkboarding class, and they've they've cleverly uh, painted it just just different enough so that it's not like a direct thing, but kids can still relate to it. I think it's coincidental that the last episode I was on had a had a big scene with uh, some magic glasses. Oh my god, I forgot. I didn't even put this <laughs> together. Could those be... Because... Okay, so... Okay. So there was a pair of... Well, we'll get to it. Harry Harry goes to the, the optometrist, and there's a scene there with a bizarre pair of spectacles. Uh, that's really weird. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of afraid of going to the doctor. He doesn't... Because he thinks it'll hurt or something. Uh, but but the adults are you know convincing him oh it's fine I'll come with you um, so yeah th- so that's where where that that scene uh, leaves off then we go to uh, one of my favorites actually I really enjoyed this animation style it's the circles with like the stringy sort of animation style that like morphs into different things uh, I don't know how you felt about this I was really struck by it um, I'm, I want to go back and find it after we're done here. Uh, it just sort of had this like bizarre like guitar riff going on in the background, like just eerie enough, uh, but still sort of uh, cheerful sounding. Yeah, it was like an artistic piece of work. Uh, it's hard to describe it. I mean, it was like spaghetti, like <laughs> stringy spaghetti that could turn into beautiful images. Right. Most of these th- most of these things, like I don't really feel the need to comment on too seriously because they're they're mostly throwaway. But this one in particular, for some reason, uh, caught my eye. I think it was I think it was well done. Um, and then we went to the uh, oh, okay the the train blocks, uh, <laughs> which was there was like a little like um, thing of blocks that was set out to look like a train. And then right next to it is a bunch of scattered little paper shapes. Um, and mixed in with these shapes are the shapes that will correctly be able to like make a copy of this block's train. And so this this hand is led by a, by a chorus of children uh, shouting out, no, not that one, grab the square one, no, grab the bigger one. And <laughs> they go through every permutation of wrong shape for every possible combination. It's like a three and a half minute scene. Far too long. Was I <laughs> I noted that uh there was one particular saying that the kids kept repeating was little square. That I think that was <laughs> that was my favorite. There was a little square that they had to put up at the top of the train to make one of like the <laughs> the smokestacks. Yeah. Uh, the only saving grace of this scene was that the payoff was pretty good because it went on to like this because you you were so accustomed to like this very plotting, uh, very just sort of realistic sort of grabbing the shapes and making a thing and like he'll like bump the shape and the kids will be like fix it no you gotta fix it and he goes and fix it but then when he completes it like the the block train sort of like bursts apart into like the stop motion like animation kind of thing and that was kind of cool. Um, it's funny how like they could set up your expecta- expectations like that, and then you know give you something that otherwise would be like pretty uh, not noteworthy, but then in that context, I enjoyed it. So good job, Sesame Street. You manipulated me into thinking you're good. <laughs> now nah, you're fine. Uh, then we had the capital I explanation, which 
Um, pretty straightforward, pretty like school lesson-y. Uh, here's what a capital I is used for and what it looks like. Um, you know, state names and, and identifying the self, etc. Uh, then we had the carrying stuff thing. This was weird. Um, you know, every <laughs> the themes that they managed to pick out for these anime or not animations of like clip collections uh, continues to to surprise. This one was just people carrying different things. Um, they did a good job of like. Uh, getting, you know, a bunch of different cultures represented. We had, like, a bunch of people carrying stuff on their heads, like, different ways that people carry their baby, whether it's, like, in their arms or they have, like, a little, like, pouch thing on their front or their back and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would, like, so, switch between clips of, like, people carrying things in Africa and then switching back to people carrying things in America. Then we had the probably the longest part, uh, which was... Harry Real quick, getting... Michael, before we get to this, before we get to this, you totally skipped over my favorite part. Oh, Do you yeah. not remember the shape game at the Fix-It store? Oh my god, the shape game. That was okay. my favorite part. It's like they took some guy off the street, and he had no idea what he was doing. They were like, hey, look at this and find some shapes. And this guy's like, oh, there's that's a line. Look, And there's a longer line, and boom, you have a triangle. <laughs> and I was laughing the entire skit. I thought that was the best part of the entire show. And it was like a square, and then a circle, and then a couple of rectangles. It was I'm simple, glad. but it was it was funny to me. <laughs> it was very simple. A little too simple for me, but I'm glad <laughs> you enjoyed it. Because it was really, you know, it was a, like they're taking like the sort of like overlay sketching effect. Like you'd see on like... Like a like a football, like a football. Like sketching out yeah. a play, yeah. They're using that little tool thing to like sketch out shapes. Um, yeah, I apologize. I, I can't believe I I missed over this crucial skit. <laughs> okay, we can move on to the to the eye doctor trip now. Finally, the optometrist. What I've been waiting for. This was like a five minute to do, which is long in Sesame Street terms. Um. He goes through the whole Harry, the the Muppet, goes through the whole rigmarole of of an eye doctor checkup. You know, he's like he he looks at the the sign on the wall, which is shapes instead of letters, because I guess we're we're meant to believe the Muppets like, or at least this Muppet is like a kid, and he can't he can't read yet, so it's just like pictures of houses and umbrellas and apples instead of the the usual letters. Um, but he goes through the whole like. First, we're gonna like check out your eyes. So the doctor like takes takes like a little light and shines it in his like fake Muppet eyes, completely <laughs> serious, like totally playing along. Which you know, kudos to that actor because it all seemed to be in one take. Yeah, the doctor impressive. managed to forget his lines a time or two though, or he had to kind of <laughs> improv something. Right, he did not have lines, is what I'm led to. Yeah, he was told just. <laughs> They actually found an optometrist and said, hey, we need you to, like, do an actual appointment <laughs> on this Muppet. <laughs> Just pretend he's real. Because he's shining his light into, like, little plastic buttons. And be like, oh, yeah, that's good. I can see, like, the backs of your eyes. It's perfect. I think the best part of that was when he had to kind of strap his face to that machine to check <laughs> the curvature of his eyes. Yeah. So this whole Harry's face is like in this contraption, 
And the doctor, of course, is dead serious the whole time. <laughs> well, that was great. Because he, he's like, he's not, he doesn't have a human shaped face. Like, he doesn't, like, fit right. He's got this huge, like, nose. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> so, yeah, he goes through the whole thing. Like, he does the, the whole lenses thing. Like, you know, flipping through the different ones. And then he finally gets, like, the, the pair of, like, test glasses that I mentioned earlier that, that look, they look bizarre on him. I enjoyed that image a lot of, like, these, like, um, sort of, like, prototype glasses on this Muppet, and we're meant to, like, I was caught up in it. I believed. I don't know about you, but I, my suspension of disbelief reached the critical mass at that point. I believed <laughs> that he could see those, those signs. I was happy. Yeah, it was it was a touching moment for for us. I was I was overjoyed. I wish this was canonical because I feel like they're not going to stick with Harry having glasses in every episode. Um, like I feel like because he definitely sticks around. We've seen him. I feel like I've seen him in further episodes, and I don't think he's wearing glasses, which is a shame because Sesame Street would be a lot more fun if they had a more strict um, commitment to their lore as I've said in the past. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's for kids. But also for me. <laughs> so, F minus. Sesame Street. Goodbye. Okay. Same versus different was this next sketch. Um, it sort of had like this, this like slot machine effect with like two columns of things and then a, a bunch of kids would shout out whether the things were different or the same. Um, <laughs> this one was fun purely for the fact that the responding kids were getting a little too eager. They thought they had it figured out. They thought they had the <laughs> pattern down, but they they did not. So you you get like the one or two kids who think they're they've outsmarted the system, shouting out before the thing has even ended that it's the same, and then it like ticks over to one last one last change, and then everyone's like, no, it's different. <laughs> Dumb kids. I don't know about you. Were you one of those kids in school? Were you, like, shouting out the answer before they even got finished the question? Oh, no, definitely not. I was a quiet kid. Okay. I did not like talking to people very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we had the question of the day with Ernie and Cookie Monster. Uh, this one was fun because Muppets make everything more fun because it was it was basically, like, the same idea. It was the same theme as the previous one because the question of the day was... Who is Ernie, and who is Cookie Monster? Which seemed apparent to any viewers at home, I would I would imagine. Um, you know, but, but this question seemed to stump Ernie and Cookie Monster. Um, because they are the same height. They thought they would be able to differentiate because, you know, Ernie's short. Well, wait, Cookie Monster's short, too. Um, they have wiggly fingers the same. They have tiny eyes that are the same. So... They they devolve into what seems to be some sort of existential crisis, <laughs> because they 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 ask themselves whether he is the other, which is very deep for Sesame Street. I felt. Yeah, I agree. But then we had some strange Muppet I've never seen before, just some green guy, run up and say like, "Well, wait a second, you're blue and you're uh, like a human. What is Ernie?" Like, where does Ernie get off, like, being, like, a human Muppet? Like, he's the most human of the Muppets. Maybe, maybe like, a next to Guy Smiley, he's he and Bert are, I kind of occupy this, like, 
middle like yeah. ground, this sort of Muppet human limbo. Like they've reached the next stage of the Muppet evolution before you reach human. Right. Like there's Muppet and then you've got Bert or I'm sorry, Ernie. And then you have human. And so he yeah, he represents that middle ground, that next step in the Muppet evolution. So 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 hang on. So if we if we trace this back, do you think that Big Bird could be the missing genetic link <laughs> between humans and dinosaurs? I think that's the only logical explanation. Cause if there there's a clear track, we can see that like Cookie like Harry seems to be like a more human version of Cookie Monster. He's like this big blue thing, but he's a little more human, like his eyes are like in his head as opposed to on his head. And he's got like a nose more human than Cookie Monster. So we need to like build out a chart, like a flow chart of from Big Bird to humans, and I think you would have like the sum total of evolution. I think this is our key yeah. to solving the evolution problem. You're right. We, we have to ask the question, um, if if humans evolved from Muppets, why are there still Muppets? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we had the the Capital I song. This one was fun. This was the best song of the episode. Oh, yeah. I, super I catchy. Yeah. Um, because, you know, every once in a while, Sesame Street will pull out this, like, complex composition of, like... Um, of some bizarre concept, and this was this was our little gem of the episode because it was, they were singing about how they live in an eye in the sky and they they get out of it and they worship it and they scrub it and it gives them light. I I enjoyed the theming of the episode, even though it was just like a bunch of little guys like, like brushing a, a giant eye and then going inside. It had that surrealist Sesame yeah. Street that I like. Um. Then we went on to a more practical application, uh, which was a kid um, with um, the 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 deaf woman of Sesame Street, who I don't think we've we've heard her name, uh, but she she's made other appearances, and uh, she's teaching sign language to the kid. She's teaching him how to say wet paint in sign language, uh, which is if you can see it right now, I'm doing it. It's sort of like a uh, like a finger like clasping. Like you're grabbing onto something for wet, and then paint is like you're brushing something on your hand. So that would be wet paint. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. So that was nice. That was a little pleasant little scene. Because uh, the kid the kid was co- cooperative and, you know, not one of those, like, jump-the-gun losers that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, he's, then... he's a fun little fella. <laughs> fun little tyke. Uh, Billy Joe Jive, the return of Billy Joe Jive, and the case of the stolen strawberries. I like that? I just came up with that. <laughs> um, this, we, we don't know what to think of Billy Joe Jive, at least I don't, and I think it was Russ that was with me when we discussed the previous, uh, one. What did you think of Billy Joe Jive? I thought he was cool. Yeah? He's a cool guy. And he's got what's the name of the the girl that he's with? Uh, Susie Sunshine. Susie Sunshine. I liked my favorite part of that was watching them walk away at the end down the sidewalk, and he's <laughs> the strut that they have. I thought that was 
I wish I could like walk around like that all the time with that confidence. <laughs> I was really envious. Well, I'm glad you were able to empathize with their their confidence because I really found took issue with their their law enforcement practices. I've <laughs> got to say because um, they they they're going off. First of all, their their primary lead is a single eyewitness account whose testimonial is, let's say, shaky at best, um, because <laughs> he reports that he saw, um, maybe a big kid, or maybe a small weird kid. And that's a quote. That's a direct quote. And that's the lead that Billy Joe Jive and his partner, S- Susie Sunshine, go on. And immediately, the first big kid that they run into, they tackle him to the ground and ruin his chocolate cream pie. <laughs> Which is not the not the the evidence that was that was stolen. It was a strawberry cream pie, not. It was upsetting. It was. This is the second case where Billy Joe Jive has over has overstepped his legal bounds, and has <laughs> subdued an innocent bystander in his quest for his delusional justice. I in, found it in Billy's defense. He gets the job done. By whatever means necessary. I think he'd prefer if you called him Detective Joe Jive. <laughs> Alright, I'll keep that in mind for the future. I suppose he did get the job, ju- <laughs> job, job done. Job <laughs> done. He got the job done, but it was purely by happenstance because he ran into a kid that was looking for his dog who happened to eat the cake. It was... Ugh, I can't. I can't abide by it. It's no good. Thumbs down. Billy Joe. <laughs> Sorry, maybe next time. Uh, <laughs> the dog's name was Meat Bone. Meat Bone. <laughs> That's a name for a dog. Uh, then we had uh, another good song, I think. Uh, what do you do when you're a kangaroo? Which is just fun to say, first of all. So, I'm going to say it again. What do you do when you're a kangaroo? This is a bluesy... Um, probably it was the kangaroo blues... Uh, just a bunch of, like, kangaroos. I like kangaroos. I think they, they're they a very unique animal. Like, you can't really trace what they're... At least for me, I'm sure you could. Some gen- genealogist could. But, like, they're very unique in what they do with their, like, pouch and the joeys and the whatnot. And the hopping. The hopping looks cool. If... Yeah, no, like, they... And the way they, like, they fight by, like, like jumping up and doing the kick. Yeah, that takes some some serious balance. Yeah, they probably do a lot of squats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we had a little game show segment, Beat the Time with Guy Smiley. This was this was a favorite. Uh, I enjoyed this one. This was it was reminiscent of uh, the Grover waiter scene that we saw in the last episode with Jared. Um, in this in this scene, uh, Guy Smiley is the host of a game show, and he the contestant is Cookie Monster. And Guy Smiley explains that he needs to find three things that rhyme with the word rain before the time runs out. So what Cookie Monster does is he runs off behind the scenes, and and the first thing he grabs is a cane, which, you know, that's pretty unassuming. Uh, hands it over to Guy Smiley. Uh, Guy Smiley's sort of, like, uh, cheering on the crowd. When all of a sudden, <laughs> this old guy Muppet, this old man Muppet with, like, a top hat and, like, a mustache... 
<laughs> comes out onto the stage, um, clearly cranky that someone has stolen his cane. <laughs> and uh, maybe a bit of... I don't want to get too judgmental, but maybe not entirely there, because he seems a tad unaware that he is on a game show at first. Um, he, he sort of has to be led through it by Guy Smiley, um, which is just one of my favorite things in general, when someone is completely unaware of the bizarre situation they've been put in. Yeah, so tell me tell me this. Please tell me Guy Smiley is a recurring character. Oh, absolutely. He's okay. a favorite. He is my new favorite Muppet after yeah. watching this. Yeah. He was fantastic. He did a terrific job at entertaining me. Yeah, he fills his role well, I would say. He he gets a lot of the game show host style roles, and he does it well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the cane is the first one. Then he returns with a chain. Uh, this is where things start to get a little bizarre, uh, because the chain is connected to some sort of demon or Muppet monster. I thought it was very demonic. I don't know about you. I Yeah, I thought it may have been Lucifer himself. <laughs> I would not I would not put it past them. Because the next thing uh, that happens is Cookie Monster is panicking because he's only got a couple seconds left. Uh, so he runs off, and then we hear in the distance, in the far-off distance, the sound of a train horn. And it's getting louder, and it's getting louder, and Guy Smiley looks at the camera, and he says, what is that? And then <laughs> Cookie Monster bursts through the scene, destroying the set with a train, He's stolen it. It's come off the rails, and and he he wins the cookie, which was the grand prize. Um, this is the second time that we've seen Cookie Monster conducting a train, which is bizarre. <laughs> like there was another like full musical number in which Cookie Monster was the conductor of like a cookie train that you didn't see, but I think it's weird that Cookie Monster has. Maybe he's got a weird affinity for trains that I'm not aware of. Yeah, I hope this is not the last time we see him on a train. He seems to fit. Yeah, he pulls off the look. Yeah, the little conductor hat, like the overalls. Yeah. It's a good it's a good deal. Good get up. Uh, then we have... Um, okay, then we go back with Harry one last time. We wrap things up with Harry and uh, Mr. Hooper in, in the in the cafe. Uh, <laughs> Harry's a little, still a little reluctant to put on the glasses, so uh, this was a smart move by the by the writers, I think, because they've kind of they got a, like a two for one deal with like children's lessons. They got the afraid to the go to the doctor lesson, and they got the I feel silly with glasses on lesson. Um, so you know, a clever bit of sort of making it more complex, which was nice. But yeah. Uh, Mr. Gordon gives him the standard, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. A bunch of adults wear glasses, too. I wear glasses. So Harry puts them on, and he looks good. He's a glasses. It, glasses do well for him, I would say. You know? Yeah. Uh, but but the first thing that Harry sees is <laughs> is that uh, Mr. Hooper, he's, he's, he's losing his hair. He's going bald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Harry makes sure to make note of that. And then we get a good, like, full ten seconds of Mr. Hooper close-up looking at the camera, looking all <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Just giving his best, really working the camera. I, I, I enjoyed that. Mr. Hooper is... I keep, I keep bouncing back and forth between my favorite human character. It might be Gordon, it might be Mr. Hooper. 
it's tough because uh, his his work in that in that ending little segment was a delight. Uh, then we then we have uh, another animated segment, uh, the the geese in in G Land, as I've called it. They 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 sail across the water, um, paddling across. I don't know. Do you have anything to say about this? It's not very noteworthy to me. Uh, not really. No, just you know, birds fine. Yep, it's fine. We got our one last little sponsor thing. Or I guess G gets another thing. But the final noteworthy segment was Edith, the five-year-old who made a sandwich. Okay, so we need to unpack this. I feel like there's a lot to there's a lot of ground to cover with yeah. this one. There, it's very <clears throat> problematic to be frank. Um, Edith, the five-year-old, is not a five-year-old. Uh, it is an adult, <laughs> <laughs> an adult who is wearing, um, you know, like. Mock children's clothes, like a like a little like dress. I don't know what you call it for a little kid, uh, but like clearly like five year old clothes and like got pigtails. Uh, but like it's it's clearly an adult, um, and they're sitting in like a giant oversized chair to you know emphasize that they're a kid. Not doing it for me, frankly. <laughs> um, and <laughs> this is another one, kind of like um, in a previous episode the. Uh, the miming, the seed farmer miming episode, where it just seemed like they grabbed someone who had like graduated from an improv class, and like this was their final project, was a five-year-old scene, because they're really working it as far as the five-year-old takes. They're kind of like playing with their shoes absentmindedly, which you took great offense to. Oh, I could not stand the constant, you know, like scratching and rubbing and grabbing of the shoes. It was like, you know, it's like nails to a chalkboard to me. <laughs> yeah, so so Edith is is recounting to us this sandwich that she's made of just okay. Uh it, it's just a bunch of gross ingredient combinations. It's the most simple of gross out writing that you can imagine. It's pickles and mustard and raisins and and peanut butter and salami and cheese and all that stuff. And she's just listing off these different things that she put on her sandwich for like a good two minutes. I really don't know how this got greenlit. <laughs> <sighs> she fed it to her dog, and that's really that's really the end, frankly. It was just a waste. I thought it was like... It was un- uncomfortable, I think was the word I would use to describe it. Yeah, it was... She tried to put everything back. It, where she found it, because the dog wouldn't even eat it. It was ugh. right. Yeah, it was. I don't. I don't want anything more like that. Um, stick with the Muppets, or stick with adults being adults. Like you've got plenty of kids. Just let them. Let the kids handle the kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then we have a quick, uh, one more G segment with a goat. Starts with G. A guy comes in with a letter G. I don't. I don't have much to say. He points at the grass instead of the goat. So it's kind of like, oh, you didn't expect it. Gotcha. Yeah. I guess kids like that. I guess I like it too. It's fine. But yeah, then we end. Then we wrap up, bringing things full circle with uh, Harry and Olivia. Um, Harry explains that he's inspired by the Doctor and he wants to be an optometrist when he grows up. And so he. <laughs> 
he he shows us that his first patient is a little doll. He's working on the doll. Which is bizarre because, like, who's to say what's real and what's not in the Sesame Street world? <laughs> why is a puppet okay and why is a doll not? I don't know. These questions don't have answers. So that's where we end it. Uh, sponsors for that episode, GI and Eleven. Um, any closing thoughts, Cameron? How are you feeling about Sesame Street um, at this point? I'm feeling really good about it. I still enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed the first episode. And you mentioned your favorite human. Mm-hmm. I wanted to... I still think my favorite after, you know, I've seen Gordon and Mr. Hooper now. And, yeah. you know, I've seen some of the extras. Yeah. But I still like Gordon more after we okay. saw Mr. Hooper in this episode. I still think that, that Gordon's performance talking about, like, animals, well, mm. it was just, like, close-up, you know, do you remember the the turtle scene? That they I had? do, yeah. And the was I think it was like a honey badger. And he was feeding the banana to it. Yes. I thought that was a lot of fun, and I Mr. Hooper just wasn't able to top it for me. And then I have a question for you. Shoot. Do you think you've seen enough of Sesame Street to be able to start your own kids show? Uh, um, maybe. I feel like. I've got the tone down at least, and I feel like, I feel like with kids shows, things can be a little more timeless, you know? Yeah. Like I feel like, the difference between this Sesame Street and like modern Sesame Street, really isn't all that different. Like the production values are probably different, the topics are probably different, like the cast and their approach. But like the the very basic like structure, and like how things sound and the rhythm of it, like I feel like I've seen enough now. To where, if you were to tell me to make like a fifteen-minute collection of sketches, I feel like I could throw something together. Yeah. You know, a collection of just like little drawings, and and you know, simple like uh, find like a theme or something that kids like relate to, like the like the doctor scene, like the like the glasses, like all that stuff. Not, and, and... not like not enough to do five episodes a week for like forty years. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> not quite there yet. Uh, we'll see. You know, I feel like Sesame Street's got it covered. You know. Yeah. Like that. That market is saturated by <laughs> four thousand and seven hundred episodes of of good old fashioned Sesame Street. So, um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still enjoying it. The, they keep bringing enough new stuff in, like the disco, uh, and and like the different songs to keep it fresh and interesting for me. Uh, and Cameron, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, uh, it's hope... been great, great being on. Yeah, I hope we'll be hearing from you very soon. But uh, for this week, this is Neighborhood Watch signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.